Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be back with you this morning. Please turn with me, if you would, uh, to the Gospel of Luke. This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. For using the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 865. This is God's Word. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. He awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Please pray with me. Father, as we think about your word and the things that you have written therein for us, we pray that you would grant us your spirit. Lord, that you would uh, direct our minds and our hearts to the things that you would have us to hear and to know and to believe that you would change us and conform us into the image of our Savior. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Back at the end of November, our denomination held its annual thank offering. The theme this year was Rescue the Perishing. As best as I can tell, the phrase comes from an old Fanny Crosby hymn. It points to two essential truths about the church. The first is that we are surrounded by people who are perishing. We live in a world full of dangers. Every one of us, day by day, feels the effects of Adam's fall. And unless the Lord returns quickly, we will all have to face death. Our bodies do not last. They wear out and pass away. Those physical dangers reflect our spiritual danger. We are born as enemies of God. Our hearts are turned away from our Creator to ourselves. We pretend to be in charge of our lives and fate, and we resent God or anyone else telling us what to do. That rebellion puts us in danger of perishing forever by being eternally separated from God and judgment. And that danger leads us to the second truth. The world is full of people who are perishing, but the church is the place of rescue. We exist so that people can hear the message of what God has done. And so their lives can be changed to serve their maker instead of themselves. Jesus gave us this great mission in Matthew 28. The church exists to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ by going, baptizing, and teaching. The passage that we're looking at this morning comes from a section of the Gospel of Luke where Luke is demonstrating Jesus' power. He wants us to be able to answer the disciples' question from verse 25. Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? The answer is, Jesus is the rescuer. He is God and man, the Son of God, born in human likeness, come to share our trials, die our death, and rise again to give us new life. And He can save us from perishing because of who He is and what He has done. Now we're going to look at this account under three parts. We'll start with the trip and the storm. 
And then we'll look at Jesus rebuking the wind and the waves, and we'll close by reflecting on the disciples' question in the midst of the calm. Luke shows us that Jesus is able to rescue us because of who he is. He's one of us. And he is God himself. He rescues the perishing because he knows our danger and he has the power to do something about it. And he continues to be our rescuer throughout this life until he brings us safely home. Now Luke doesn't always stick to an exact chronology in his gospel. Here he tells us that one day Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples and tells them, let's go to the other side of the lake. And he's talking about the Sea of Galilee, a body of water the disciples were very familiar with. John, James, Peter, and Andrew were all fishermen on that lake, and they knew its temperament and weather very well. And there's nothing about this introduction that clues you into what's about to happen. Luke doesn't say it was a cloudy day or the wind felt blustery. Jesus says, let's go across, and the disciples oblige. And this innocent and unremarkable beginning reminds us of something important. Going sailing that day was Jesus' idea, and he knew exactly what was going to happen. The disciples didn't say, hey, today looks like a good day for a pleasure cruise. They're simply following the Lord where he led, not knowing what's in store. But Jesus knew. He knew exactly what waited for them out on that water. And that's the way our life works. Look, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know what this afternoon is going to bring. And we certainly don't know what 2020 is going to mean. But the Lord knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows all of the successes and the failures, the triumphs and the trials that are in store for us in this coming year. And he leads us there. Disciples don't know what's going to happen on the week. We don't know what's going to happen the rest of today, tomorrow, next week or next year. But Jesus led them into that boat and onto the sea, knowing the storm was coming. And he leads us as well. Now, not knowing, us not knowing, would be a more frightening thought except for what happens next. The disciples set out, and as they sail, Jesus falls asleep. Two things we need to see from that detail. First, it reminds us that Jesus is a real person. He is a living, breathing human being. Now, this event happens sometime in the middle of Jesus' Galilean ministry, and he's been keeping a, a brutal schedule of traveling and preaching. At every stop, he's met by crowds of people demanding his attention. Everywhere he turns... He sees people perishing. So he heals those afflicted by demons or diseases. He instructs people who've been led astray by bad teachers. And he rebukes those bad teachers and calls them to repentance. This is demanding, exhausting work. So when Jesus gets a few minutes with just him and the disciples, he finds a relatively comfortable place in the front of the boat, and he quickly falls into a deep sleep. I've heard it said that sometimes the most holy thing you can do is take a nap. And that's what Jesus needed. His physical body needed sleep and his soul needed a few moments of quiet and rest. Jesus is a human being. He he experienced the same limitations, the same kind of trials that we do. He knows what it's like to be worn out and exhausted and just need a good night's sleep. He's been tired, weary, hungry, beaten down. He can sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he's experienced them. That's what we just celebrated at Christmas. The Son of God took on human flesh and dwelt among us. And that points us to the second thing we need to see 
in this detail, Jesus goes through our trials and tribulations with us. There'll be other times when the Lord sends the disciples on by themselves. In Luke 9, he gives them power and authority, and then he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of of God and to heal. But here, we need to see that Jesus went on that boat with them. He didn't send them on this journey by themselves, knowing what was going to happen. He got into the boat and traveled with them through that approaching storm. Jesus was with the disciples in the boat. And that's so important, because they faced real danger. Look at verse 23. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Sea Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by a mountainous area. Most of the time it's pretty calm, but occasionally it gets tremendously powerful storms. And that's what's happening here. A furious windstorm swept down onto the lake. And these experienced sailors and fishermen knew that they were in peril as they uh, rode up and down those waves. The water was coming in over the side of the boat faster than they could bail it out. They were in danger. There was a good chance that they would be swamped and die. I think that's important that we understand because we're often hard on the disciples. Jesus is going to ask, where is your faith? And Mark has it even more stark. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And I've heard people say that the apostles shouldn't have been afraid of the storm. After all, they had Jesus with them. God's not going to let the Messiah drown. But Luke says the disciples' lives were in danger. And If you don't experience fear when you're in danger, something is wrong with you. Fear is the right response. Fear enabled them to bail quicker and try to stay afloat. If we are ever in a sinking boat together, I hope you have at least a little bit of fear and you use it to help us get to safety. Where in the Gospels does it say that all of the disciples were going to live through Jesus' ministry? We know that Jesus was going to make it through that storm, but they had no guarantee that all of them were going to survive. They had no right to presume that God was going to miraculously save them. Being in fear for their lives showed that the disciples were human too. And this is something they got right. Luke says their lives were in danger. But that can be the hardest thing to get people to see. Look, one day, we are all going to have to stand before God. We are all going to face God face to face. And when you see God, you're going to have to give an account for the way that you have lived your life. You will have to stand before Him and answer for everything that you've done. Every lie, every falsehood, every envious or covetous thought, every idle word and action. You will answer to the God who sees everything. We are in danger, no less than the disciples. We're in danger from the misfortunes of this life, and we are in danger of standing before the holy God and giving an account of how we've lived, facing the dreadful storm of his wrath. The disciples, they react to their danger by doing the exact right thing. Verse 24, And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And somehow, probably due to his exhaustion, but also because of his trust in his Father, Jesus is still asleep in the midst of this storm. 
And when the disciples realize their peril, they wake him up and they beg him for help. Not exactly sure what they thought Jesus was going to do. But their instinct was to reach out to him for help. Now Matthew's account of this is very similar to Luke's. Mark has them saying, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And, And that does put a slightly different nuance on the situation. But in all of these accounts, the disciples turn to Jesus when they realize their danger. And that was the exact right response. That is what we're supposed to do when we realize the dangers of this life. Don't ignore them. Don't wave them off with a pious nod to God's sovereignty. Cry out to Jesus. That's what David did. When David was in trouble, hiding from Saul, pursued by Absalom, hunted by any of the numerous enemies that he faced during his life, he didn't sit calmly and serenely by and tell himself, well, you know, God is in control. That was true. God is in control. But David felt the real fear at his danger. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of shield entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From His temple, He heard my voice. And my cry came to His ears. 2 Samuel 22, 5-7 The right response to the dangers we face is not to ignore them or pretend like they're not dangers. We need to turn to Jesus. Just like the disciples did. Just like David did. When you are worried. When you are fearful of your future. 2020 and all of its challenges. When you're concerned about your past. And the effects and the scars that it's left. Turn to Jesus. Don't deny your fear. Don't pretend it's not there. Let it drive you to the Lord. And most importantly, Jesus is where you should turn because of your eternal danger. Under the threat of the full weight of God's justice, the winds and waves of that storm, they are nothing compared to that awful flood. You need to turn to Jesus, to God's Son, and beg Him for help just like the disciples did. What happens next tells us why. They went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Disciples aren't cowards. They're experienced sailors. They knew their way around a boat. They knew they were in actual peril. They're not imagining things. They're not making things worse than they really are. The boat is filling with water and they are in danger. And then Jesus rebukes the wind and the raging waves and they cease. And this violent storm turns instantly into a calm. It's one of the many events Jesus used over his time with the disciples to show them who he was and to build their faith in him. And Luke uses it for the same purpose for us. Now, nothing would happen if I told a storm to cease. There's a famous legend about an ancient British king named Canute. And Canute thought the courtiers and officials of his court were giving him too much power and too much respect. So he took them down to the seashore and he made them watch as he commanded the tide not to come in. It didn't work. 
But when Jesus commanded the wind and the waves, when he rebuked them, they stopped. They had to. Jesus' voice called them into being. He sustained and kept them in existence. Creation is always going to listen to the voice of its creator. That's what Luke is showing us. The reason Jesus could command the winds and the waves was that he made them. He is God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, come in flesh and born of Mary. He created the world with the word and he calmed the raging storm with one too. And then, in the stillness of that calm, Jesus turns to the disciples and asks, where is your faith? That's the pertinent question, isn't it? And it it contains a gentle rebuke. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their fear or concern. Those are rational and right responses to imminent danger. He questions them because they were not trusting in him. Now, we have to be careful to understand what that trust looks like. Trust is not the same thing as presumption. Presumption would be the disciples thinking that they were immortal because Jesus was there. But they had no guarantees they were getting out of that storm. We make this mistake all the time. We think that if we trust in Jesus, well, then nothing can ever go wrong. And then when something does go wrong, when we lose that job or get that diagnosis, or those carefully laid plans go in a puff of smoke, with nothing to show for our time or effort, we think that Jesus has failed us. But he didn't fail you. That's not what he promised you in this life. In this life, you will have trouble, not ease. He he promised us problems. We must take up our crosses and follow him. Trusting Jesus does not mean believing that everything is going to be pleasant now. It means knowing that he is with you. And he will make things right in the end. And Jesus is trustworthy because of who he is. He is there in the boat with us. He's one of us. He has a a true body and a reasonable soul. He got hungry and tired. He had to deal with annoying people who just wouldn't get it. Jesus understands what it's like to live in this perilous world. And at the same time, he is God himself. He commands the winds and the waves, and they obey. He says, cease, be still, and there is calm. He could go down to the sea and command the tide, and it would hear his voice. That person, the God-man, is worthy of our trust. He understands our danger, and he can do something about them. Now, there's no guarantee that he will do something now or in the way that we will expect. But all will be right. All will be made right in the end. Jesus is worthy of our trust because of who he is. He is fully man and fully God. Emmanuel, God with us, the second person of the Trinity, come down to earth to taste our sorrows. And the disciples get it. Look what happens to their fear in verse 25. And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Well, that's the question, right? That's the question. Who is Jesus? How are you going to respond to him? 
Now, the disciples were right to be afraid of the storm. It almost killed them. If you're not afraid of real danger, then you're not a a rational human being. We're designed to respond to danger with fear. Our our bodies use that, that shot of adrenaline to energize us to quick action. But this... This is a different kind of fear. This is the fear of worship. The disciples begin to realize the person sharing the boat with them is something more. He's one of them, but he's also the Lord. The fear is still in its infant stages. It'll be nourished as they see Jesus feed 5,000 people with a kid's lunch. It'll be strengthened when they see him raise a child from the dead and call Lazarus from the tomb. And it'll be confirmed and settled on the night He appears to them alive. They won't fully grasp who Jesus is until they see Him die, be buried, and then rise again. But this fear that Luke is talking about, this is the fear that we need to have. Because we are in worse peril than the disciples. You are in danger of being overwhelmed by the wind and waves of God's judgment. The terrible wrath of God. And it is a real danger. One that you cannot save yourself from. You have broken God's law in your words, your thoughts, and your actions. Not just once, not just twice, but time and time again. You're a repeat offender. And I know because I am one too. We're all guilty. Not one of us is perfect. No one. We all deserve terrible justice. Our crimes are against the Almighty Creator and Sustainer of all things. We deserve to be cast from His presence into torment. And that is why God sent His Son. The Father doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to have life. He loves you so much that He sent His Son to pay your debt so that you could be free. Jesus had to be one of us because we're the ones who sinned against God. And He had to be God because only God could do what was necessary to save us. And just like He had to be in the boat with the disciples to help them, and He had to be God to have the power to help. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again so that you would not perish but have eternal life. If you want to be rescued from that real danger, you can be. Put your trust in Christ, in Jesus, in the One who commands the wind and the waves, the One who died and rose again, and He will. He will rescue you. You can do that right now. Today. Now this message is something we all need to hear. Because the dangers don't just go away after you trust in Christ. Now they change. And once your faith is in Him, you're no longer under the threat of hell. Your sins are nailed to the cross. They are taken from you as far as the east is from the west. They are thrown into the bottom of the sea where they can never be recovered. But there are still wind and waves. And we need to know that Jesus is still in the boat with us. And that is His promise. Not that you'll have calm seas and clear skies. In all likelihood, you'll face rough and threatening waters, but you will never sail through them alone. Jesus is always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He understands exactly what it is you are going through. He was there. He's one of us. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15 He knows what it is to be in danger, to be tired, to be tired, 
to be weary, to be lonely. And he is able to do something about it. He's God. He has the power to instantly calm whatever sea you are in. And even if he doesn't, if he chooses to let you ride through the waves, and even if he chooses to let you be overcome by the wind and the waters, it's not the end of you. He walked through death before us. He blazed the trail for us to follow. And when you close your eyes on this earth, you will immediately be in His presence, free of sin, free of trials, free of worries, free of peril, forever. And you know what? Even that isn't the end. Because He is God, because He has the power to resurrect the dead, He will take even these trials and tribulations, the sufferings and the pains of this life, And He will somehow make them beautiful. Somehow, when Jesus comes back and death is defeated and we live forever with Him, then every evil of this life will be transfigured into His glory and our good. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Jesus. Emmanuel is with us. And just like He was with the disciples, He understands us. He he knows what this world is like. He is with us in His Holy Spirit. No matter what happens, Jesus is there with us. And that means that our God is with us. The One who made the wind and the waves by the word of His power. The One who stilled the storm and calmed the seas with the same word. He is the Creator, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Mary's firstborn Son and the firstborn from the dead who conquered death and hell to save us. Disciples' fear in the boat is not wrong. They're in danger. They even had the right response to that danger. They cried out to Jesus. They didn't know fully who He was or what He would do, but they knew enough to turn to Him. And that is what we need to do right now as we look forward to this new year. Jesus is the rescuer of the perishing. Follow the disciples' example. Call out to Him. He is with us. And He will see His people safely home. Let's pray together. Our great God, You are worthy of all praise, of all glory, of all worship and adoration for who You are, for Your character, Your goodness, Your unchangeableness, Your infinity, Your eternity, Your immensity, Your simplicity. And Lord, You are worthy of our praises for what You have done for us. That You, our God, took on our flesh and became one of us and dwelt among us, Emmanuel. That You tasted our sorrows and our trials. That You bore every one. That You took our sin and our death to the cross and put it to death there in Your body.
we praise you that our Savior suffered in our place, laid in His grave, and then rose again from the dead, triumphing over both death and hell. Lord, we call out to You. We put our faith in You. We trust You. Save us from our sin. Save us from our trials. Bring us to be where You are, that we may always be with You. We pray these things in Jesus' name.